You're listening to a podcast from Jubilee Church, Farnham. To find out more, visit www.jubilee.church. We're doing a little mini-series at the moment uh, called Together for Purpose. And um, I just feel excited about it. I think that the next uh, few weeks as we unpack some of the things that we anticipate happening through the summer term, I think it's... uh, I feel a growing excitement in my heart, and hopefully I'll be able to communicate some of that um, to us today. And it's good to be to fall, really, on a Mother's Day. I think Mother's Day is full of joy and excitement and love and laughter, and I was blessed when Theo, I could hear, clanking around in the kitchen very early this morning and just thinking, what on earth is he doing? And uh, can he ch- carry that tray up without falling over? And is Haley awake even? Um, and, uh, but he did. He was a blessing, wasn't he? At his own initiative. I was very proud of him. Um, and it can be a wonderful time, isn't it, Mother's Day? But for, for some, it brings forth other emotions as well, doesn't it, Mother's Day? Perhaps because of loss or bad experiences or because motherhood's not possible. And uh, so it's not a great day for, for, for everybody. We need to be sensitive to that. Tragically, some mothers are not able to look after their kids, and so thousands are in the care systems and don't know the love of a mother. And the Bible says, doesn't it, religion that God our Father accepts is that's pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and widows. And so that's why we're Home for Good Church. That's a charity that sort of encourages fostering and adoption, wanting to encourage those who are looking after kids on behalf of the state. And so we, we, we're pleased to be part of that. And uh, they sent a little video this week, and I just want to show you this little video because it's really profound and I think speaks into what I want to say this morning. And so I just want to show you this little video. Gaila is my mum's friend at church. She taught me to swim before my school trip so I wouldn't be left out. Karis is my support worker and she helps me communicate. She stands up for me to make sure I get what I need. I meet up with Becca every month. We just chat and it really helps. One day when I was feeling angry, I bashed my bike against the wall. A neighbour Karen came to mend it without making it a big deal. Mum and Dad adopted all three of us, so I wasn't separated from my sisters. And when I still feel that I need to look after them, Mum helps me understand and gives me special time to be myself. My youth worker Kate listened to me and helped me tell my parents what was happening. Tessa is a teacher in my church. Over the summer she's spent lots of time with me, helping me with my letters and numbers. Mum has always been there for me and I've never felt different to my brothers who are her birth children. 
profound, isn't it? It's a profound thought that our lives can have a positive, transformative effect on others, isn't it? Little cameos of lives that have impacted others. Be fostering and adopting, but you know what? Even the smallest little acts, the briefest comments done in the right way at the right time with the right heart can be world-changing for another person. And that's really what I want to talk about and encourage us in this morning. Just like the film, some are called to foster and adopt, and uh, that's great, and very tangibly see a transformation in little lives. And it's a joy to see that even happening amongst us. But you know, I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about all of us. All of us can have an impact on other people in ways that transforms their lives. All of us can impact and influence the direction of others' lives in a powerful way. And that's what I want us to be thinking about in this series, this series called uh, Together for Purpose, because we're together for a purpose. We're together with other people for a purpose, to be a good influence and to see transformation in other lives. I've seen it through my life. I remember when I was a teenager, I remember praying for somebody on the streets in San Pedro in Los Angeles as part of a YWAM mission. I was way out of my depth. And uh, with a lot of other people who, who, who were also way out of their depth as well. And we were praying for this guy on the street, and he came to faith just on the street. It was something very unfamiliar to me. And as we were praying for him, I remember a guy tapping me on the shoulder and saying, I know him, and whatever you've just given him, can you give me? And can you pray for me? And so I just, I was way, you know, this is, freaked me out a bit, but um, he, I, I stood up and prayed for this guy. And he was in tears. He uh, uh, was, was so grateful that we were able to pray. And he walked off. A few days later, he came and found us. We were doing this mission, and he came to thank us for this little moment where we prayed for him and told us this, story about how in that moment he was actually going to murder somebody and uh, brought out this knife that he was going to murder. Somebody had raped his sister and he wasn't having that so he was going to murder him and he just happened to walk down this street see another gang member who was uh, being prayed for and in that moment something happened. His life was changed and somebody else's life was changed. See something changed in me in that moment as well as I was in that situation. I remember when I, in my 20s, Flossie. Flossie had one leg. She couldn't get out of her flat, was deaf as a post, about 150 years old, <laughs> blind. I used to visit her as a pastoral worker in a church. And, you know, although she was blind, she had a sparkle in her eye. And told me she prayed for me every day. And do you know what? I used to go and visit her as a pastoral worker. And I would leave her a foot taller. She did something to me. Something 
changed in me in those moments when I sat with Flossie, trying to look after her. Little things can transform people's lives. I remember driving Selwyn Hughes to Bristol for a conference when I was 30. And I remember him. We were going down the motorway. He talked to me about the speeding ticket he'd got and all this sort of stuff. And, um, but then he suddenly said to me, he said, how old are you? I said, I'm 30. And he said, that's a great age. Jesus started his ministry when he was 30. You've got enough experience when you're 30, but you've still got some energy. Go for it. Changed my life. Little conversation, little comment. In my 40s, I remember being in Indonesia and talking to an Indonesian pastor who had returned from a remote village where he was really excited and over dinner was sharing all the things that had happened in this really remote village. And, and the fact that he'd seen this choir of angels in the sky. Now, now if I'm honest, I was like really sceptical. <laughs> you know, what, 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 what had happened? I don't know. And then he got a photo out. <laughs> and he showed me this photo of these angels in the sky. Now, it was like blurry, okay? <laughs> And it could have been all sorts of other things. But do you know what? In that moment, I just, I just knew he'd seen some angels. And in that moment, him bothering to share that with me, something changed in me too. You see, we have a big impact on people. And the impact we have on others through little acts of kindness, small amounts of care, generous acts of hospitality, positive words of encouragement, talking about Jesus, can change lives. And that's the encouragement I want to bring us this morning. You see, we come together for purpose. Rick helpfully kicked off our Together for Purpose mini-series, painting a picture of the narrative we see through Scripture um, how right from the beginning, God's bringing people together for a purpose. And uh, I want to build on that this morning through some passages, uh, a passage in Hebrews 10. So if you've got a Bible, you might want to pull it up. But uh, you can read it to me just uh, uh, as it's on the screen there. Therefore, Wow. Now, the verses I'm looking at are the ones after these ones, but you know what? You can't read those without reading these ones first. Isn't that just a wonderful passage for those of us who believe? Isn't this the gospel, the good news that Jesus came from our Father in heaven, made a way for us to draw near to God with confidence and assurance, forgiven, made clean? Doesn't that 
bless your heart as you, if you're a follower of Jesus. You know what, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, there is a way to come to know the good shepherd. There's a way to come to know a father in heaven who loves you, a father in heaven who wants, who's for you, who wants to bless you wants to show you that you can come to him with confidence and assurance and know forgiveness, be made clean because of what Jesus has done. It's wonderful truth, isn't it? We love it, don't we? I really love it. And I was hoping more of you loved it. It's a, isn't that a wonderful truth? Yes. That a way has been made for us to meet with our Heavenly Father? If that doesn't get you excited, I tell you what, the hour really had a big effect on you this morning. <laughs> <laughs> because it is a wonderful truth, isn't it? But do you know what? It goes on. If we believe that, which I hope we do, it goes on to say something else. Let's read this together. Let us hold... Isn't that exciting? That is a great verse. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he's, he's promised his faithful. Let us consider, think about, wonder about how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. That's what God wants us to do. And do you know what? We're entering a season where that's going to happen more and more and more. We're going to be sharing something of that and some of the ideas we've got about groups and all sorts of stuff next week. But today I want us to reflect on this wonderful truth that we can spur one another on to good deeds. And God's design is for that to happen, for us to be together for purpose, to spur one another on towards love and good deeds, encouraging one another in our faith. That's what God is doing. He's putting us together for a purpose to encourage one another in the faith, to spur one another on, to help somebody up, to motivate somebody, to challenge somebody, to help each other to, in the faith, on the journey of faith. You see, you can't be a Christian on your own. I really believe that. You have to be a Christian with others because it's together we find a purpose. It's together we spur one another on, encourage one another, motivate one another. Bless one another, because that is what it's supposed to be like. And so I just want to reflect on that just briefly, and then next week talk a little bit more, build on it further. First point, I've got four points. First point is that togetherness is part of God's design, God's plan. Rick said last week that right from the beginning, Genesis, we see that God made everything, and after each part of creation, he said it was good. And then he made man, and he said it was very good. And yet in this perfect environment of paradise, when man and God were walking together, God saw it was not good for man to be alone. Genesis 2.18. It's a wonderful story. See, we were made to be together. 
is part of God's plan. Being in relationship with others is part of God's plan. But do you know what? It is easier for some than others. Different personalities connect and relate in different ways, and that's fine. But for some, moving towards others in loving relationships, connecting with people, can be difficult. In fact, it can produce a lot of fear or hurt or anxiety or questions. Because our world has got broken and the relationships that there should be have been harmed. And as we read that wonderful story, we see that there's a tendency in us to hide and to withdraw, just like Adam did in the story. And we can withdraw in many ways, can't we? Even into our work or hobbies or watching TV or computer games, Facebook, even we can withdraw, just present a fake to the world, but really withdraw from others. We can make choices to isolate ourselves. We can make choices just to choose not to be with God's people. And do you know what? It does us harm because together we have a purpose to encourage one another, spur one another up on. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, whoever cannot stand being in community should be aware of being alone. It's a profound comment. <laughs> if you isolate yourself, it's not good for you. Because togetherness is good for you. My identity and purpose are tied up, aren't they, in relationships? All of us are like that. I'm, I'm, I'm the son of Jim and Sonia, brother of Dominic, Jason, Francesca and Ben, husband of Haley, father of Joseph, Samuel, Reuben and Theo. I'm a neighbour. I'm a director of a company. I'm trustee. I'm a pastor. I'm a friend. I'm in all sorts of different relationships with different people. Who I am. See, I wasn't put on the earth to meanly please myself and, and amuse myself. That's not why we're here. We're here to be together. We're here to be in relationship with others. Dallas Willard says this, he, the theologian and cultural commentator, he says, the natural condition of life for human beings is reciprocal rootedness in others. I love that. Rootedness in others where we draw life from and nourishment is from one another, you know. Just like a tree draws from the soil. We draw from being rooted with others. It's an important thing. It's good for you. Connection with others is good for you. Renee Split showed that it, through research with infants that we, if the infants aren't held and hugged and touched, even if they have parents who give them food and clothes, they suffer from retarded neurological development. Piece of scientific research. The earlier studies of suicide showed the major risk factor is social isolation. People who have bad habits, smoking, poor eating, alcohol abuse, but strong social ties live significantly longer than people who have great health habits but were isolated. We've said it before. If you eat donuts, 
with good friends rather than broccoli on your own is better for you. I think, I think probably eating broccoli with other people is probably optimum. However, social ties, being in relationships, being together is an important thing. The Journal of American Medical Association reported that when 276 volunteers were infected with a virus that produces the common cold, the study found that people who had strong emotional connections did four times better fighting off illness than those who withdrew from people. These people were less susceptible to colds, had fewer viruses, and even produced significantly less mucus. So it's a scientific fact that if you're unfriendly, you are literally more snottier than people who are friendly. You see, we need people to spur us on. And if we don't, there's consequences to it. Mother Teresa said, loneliness is the leprosy of modern society. And you know what? No one wants to know they're a leper, others to know they're a leper. See, being together is good for you. But it's also, you know, what the world is looking for, isn't it? Togetherness. You read a woman's magazine, I do it often. <laughs> woman's Hour. Fascinating program. We just have to understand, guys, the other fairer sex sometimes. <laughs> Watch daytime TV. Whatever you go, you see the world is desperate for connection, isn't it? And togetherness. And to find some purpose in that togetherness. That's why there's Facebook, Instagram. All these things are ways that the world is wanting to connect. It's why the single most memorable speech in the last century was a plea for all human beings one day to be able to eat together at the table of fellowship, join hands, sing a common song. The social scientist Jean Eschlan, I think he's called, notes that Martin Luther King Jr. captured the conscience of a science society when he said that speech. Because what he was articulating wasn't just his dream. It's really the human dream that we would come together. And the reason is it's because it's God's dream that we come together for a purpose. John 17, 23 says, I in them and you in me, so that we may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you love me. You know, as we come together, as God's people, the world knows that God is God. We see it, don't we? We just know that when there is those moments of connection, those moments are so powerful, aren't they? There's a little moment that takes place when a mother and a child perhaps falls over and the mother wraps her arms around a child. That little human moment is a powerful thing, isn't it? 
in that moment, the mother stops thinking about herself and focuses on the child and gives love and warmth and blessing. And that child receives life in that moment. And in that same moment, that act of giving doesn't empty the mother, does it? it? She receives a joy of pouring her life out to her little child. See, the human moments, whenever they are, reflected like a relational ecosystem where life becomes richer and greater as it flows from one person to another. You know, that's why we're together. We're together for a purpose. Edward uh, Halloway writes that for most people, there's two powerful experiences in life. The two most powerful experiences are achieving and connecting. Most of which grabs our attention and commands our energy falls into these two characters categories he suggests. Connecting is to do with the relational world that we're in. Things like falling in love and forming friendships and being cared for when we're sick and receiving words of affection from our parents. Achieving is to do with our accomplishments, writing, winning contexts, pursuing careers, realising difficult goals or whatever. And he points out that society is increasingly devoted and obsessed with, perhaps enslaved by, achieving and it is increasingly bankrupt and impoverished when it comes to connecting. Quite profound, really. See, there's nothing wrong with achieving when it's done in the right way and for the right reasons, but it's not a substitute for connecting. In fact, really, if it's to be done right, achieving must honour community, he suggests. The only significant achievements are those that enrich community. So it's a bit ironic that our society is almost idolising achievement these days. And yet I've never known anyone who's failed at relationships, who was isolated, lonely, unconnected, had no deep friendships, and yet had a meaningful, joy-filled life. It just doesn't work like that. Conversely, I've never known anyone who's succeeded in relationships, who cultivated great friendships, who was devoted to their family, who mastered the art of giving and receiving love, that has had a bad life, actually. John Altberg says this, he says, no matter how little money we have, no matter what rung we occupy on anybody's ladder of success, in the end, what everybody discovers is that what matters is other people human beings who give themselves in relational greatness, who have friends they laugh with, cry with, learn with, fight with, dance with, live and love and grow old and die with. These are the human beings who lead magnificent lives. When they die, not one of them regrets having devoted themselves to people, their friends, their neighbours, their children, their family, not one. Powerful, isn't it? You see, lastly, togetherness, in togetherness, it's where we meet God. The most important reason, perhaps, to a deep togetherness, not even the physical or emotional benefits it brings, great as those may be, the most important thing is that relationships are where God meets us. To quote Dallas Willard again, he says this, that God's aim in human history is the creation of an inclusive community of loving persons with himself as the primary sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. 
Isn't that what church is? Isn't that what our groups are? Isn't that what life is about? We see community matters so much to God. And to understand it, we really have to go right back to the beginning before there was anything. And think about what it was like for God, as Rick pointed to us last week, that before there was anything, there was God. I, the great I am, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons, one God in perfect togetherness. See, togetherness is rooted in the very being of God. The Trinity has just revolutionized my life. That sense that within Godhead, the energy that pulsed right from the beginning of anything, before there was anything, was this other-centered togetherness. Not a self-centeredness, not a selfishness, just purposeful, other-centered togetherness. What's most amazing, though, as we read the Scriptures, is that God invites us to be part of that. John 17 says this, My prayer is for not them alone, that was the disciples, but I pray for those who believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, and may they also be in us. Isn't that profound that they may be in us? So as we come together, as we come together in fellowship with one another, do you know what it means that God, the very creator, is with us? Is that profound? We've been invited into his fellowship of love. It's why Jesus said, when he said, when two or three are gathered, I'm there. He can't help it. When people come together, he can't help but be with them. Because he loves togetherness. He loves us being together. And being together in his name as Christians, that isn't restricted just to church services, is it? We gather in the name of Jesus to relate to others with the same spirit of servanthood and submission and delight, all the characteristics of the Trinity to be reflecting how we come together as God's people. And whenever it happens, God says, I can't just stand by. I want to be with you. So he comes by his spirit and is with us when we're in our small groups, when we're in our youth group, when we're in any group of Christians, when we're just having dinner together. He's there with us in a mysterious way. And you know what? We just have to have eyes to see because as we are together, we see a purpose evolve that we've read about in these scriptures that we're looking at today. See, a community of loving people is God's signature. It's a life-giving place. It's a place where we can grow and develop and mature into people to be more and more like Christ. And when we experience community, we know a joy of belonging and how our world wants to belong at this time. Jesus made great sacrifices for this to even be possible. There was an enormous price, wasn't there? The son will go to the cross. The father, who had known nothing from all eternity, but perfect intimacy is with, son, with, with his son, would allow him to go into anguish for us. The spirit who comes to earth allows himself to be quenched and grieved by us. There's a cost for God in fellowship with us. And yet, do you know what? He delights to come with us. 
and to help us and to be with us and to welcome us into his circle of life. So we've got a prized community, haven't we? We've got to not tolerate disunity. We've got to be together for purpose. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit, it says in Ephesians 4. You see, we are to take our place in this wonderful mystery of God, a togetherness. And we have scores of opportunities every day to bless and to connect and to build relationships, build friendships and change people's world. That's why we're world-changing disciples as part of our mission statement. Because we can have an impact on the trajectory of other people's lives. In every little human moment, every time you forgive someone who hurts you, every time you encourage somebody who feels defeated, extend compassion to somebody who stands alone, lovingly confront somebody who's succumbing to sin, Every time you open your heart to a friend, reconcile with an enemy, devote time to a child, you know what? You align yourself with God's eternal purposes in this world to bring people together for purpose. Amen? To live in, contribute to God's dream community is the reason we're born, actually. What we're created for, we neglect it. doesn't matter what else you do. You'll die of failure, actually. But devote yourself to this one thing, to loving God and loving people as they are. No matter what else you might not achieve, you'll live a magnificent life. And isn't that a cool thing to reflect on? So, let us hold unswervingly to the hope. Let's read it together. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he has promised is faithful. Let us consider Amen. Nathan, come up. We're going to just sing a song, and then the kids are going to join us just in a moment. But just as we're singing this one song, um, I'd love us just to reflect, because I just felt as I was praying this morning, I need to encourage us to apply these verses and imply them in four ways. I just wonder, as we're thinking, think how today you can spur on somebody in your family to love and good deeds. Think about how you could say something encouraging to one of your friends. Think about somebody in the fellowship. You could bless this week and spur on to love and good deeds. Or somebody in Farnham, a neighbour. All right, let's stand. We're going to sing a song. Those who uh, have got kids in...